Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we've got a lot to talk about, even if the uh, number of topics are limited today. Um, we're going to go real quick through the Suns road trip so far. Obviously, last pod, we talked about their upcoming five-game road trip. They are more than halfway through that now. Um, two really big wins and one unfortunate loss so far. We're going to talk about Devin Booker and his recent struggles because that's been the main topic for Suns Twitter over the last week or so. And then we're going to talk about the series finale, season finale, not sure, of uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that just wrapped up. Uh, we're recording this at one in the morning on Friday morning because we stayed up to watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier just for this pod. So uh, a lot of good topics on deck today, but we're going to start with the Suns road trip. Um, started off with that overtime win over the Milwaukee Bucks in a playoff light game. Um, you know, the Suns were down seven with about five minutes to play. They showed a lot of resilience. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, big, tough shots that were being made on both sides in that game. It was really entertaining back and forth affair. Um, Booker led the way with 24 points. Chris Paul had, you know, 22, 13 assists and seven boards. Aiton had a double-double, 20 and 13. Mikael Bridges chipped in 21. So the Suns' four best players were really leading the charge, which was great to see. Um, and that was good enough to counter uh, a really good night from Milwaukee's big three. You know, Giannis had 33 and 8. I think Drew Holiday had like 26. Chris Middleton had like a 25-7-5 game. So um, just all the stars really showed out in this showdown. Um, and it ended on kind of a a controversial foul call. It's not controversial. If you look at the actual screenshot there, there's pretty clear contact, um, which the replay showed, but in the moment, I think people were just upset because it was a anticlimactic finish to what was a really good game that came down to the wire in overtime. Uh, and then the Suns followed that up two days later with a big win over the 76ers featuring Joel Embiid's almost miraculous buzzer beater. Um, you just grabbed the rebound and flung it three quarters court and almost banked it in. Um, but the Suns won that game by three points on the road. Booker came up big in the, down the stretch. Um, you know, Cam Johnson had 15 off the bench. Chris Paul led the way with 28 and eight. Um, you know, Embiid was really good. He had 38 and 17. He was a monster and that's why he's an MVP candidate this year. Um, but the Suns did do a good job of making him work and were able to come out with the win overall. Um, unfortunately, that was followed up by a really ugly loss to the Celtics. Um, the Suns just looked dead on offense. And to be fair, it was on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, which I think we really need to take in mind. Um, you know, I, I think Suns fans have gotten a little spoiled with how good this team is, especially on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. You know, you look at their record. Heading into the night, they were 10-3 and three on the second night of back-to-backs, which was uh, the best record in the league. Um, and they were 19-7 and seven on the road, so they dropped to 19-8, and eight, which is still the league's best record on the road. So, um, you know, maybe we're a little bit spoiled that we were expecting a better effort, and they were just kind of flat all night. They didn't really have it. They tried to chip away at it and got close a couple times at the hole that they dug themselves in the first half, but they just really didn't have it. Devin Booker had like 15 points and fouled out um, with like five turnovers. You know, Chris Paul had 22, eight and eight. He was the Suns best player by far. Bridges chipped in 15, but you know, Jay Crowder was out. He had, uh, he was out with that ankle injury. He kind of rolled it the night before against Philly um, Dario Saric continued to struggle. He's been playing through an ankle injury as well. Um, the Suns still don't have Abdul Nader, so they were a little short on wing depth. Kemba dropped 32. It was just kind of a recipe for disaster for the Suns um, and an all-around ugly game for them. But overall, we need to look at the bigger picture here. The Suns are still 2-1 and one on this brutal road trip so far. 
Their only loss was on the second night of the back-to-back and was kind of a scheduled loss if you look at how tough this road trip is. And, you know, their first game went to overtime. Their second game was an emotional game that took a lot out of them mentally and physically, came down to the wire. Um, So it's only natural that they were bound to have a game where they kind of let up a little bit, and it was on the second night of a back-to-back. So the bad news is they're only one game ahead of the Clippers for the two-seed now with this latest loss. Um, So they need to take care of business. They've got Brooklyn coming up on Sunday, which – you know, is two days after this Thursday game, but it's an early game. It's I think it's twelve thirty Eastern time, so not as much of a of a break in between as you would like for games that are on two separate days. And then after that, they've got their second game of another back to back. They take on the Knicks in New York uh, on Monday. So we'll see how they're able to close out this road trip. Hopefully, with one or two wins at least to keep the Clippers at bay for now. But we do need to talk about Devin Booker, who is the meat of our story today, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deny that Booker has been bad over the last six games um, or so. You know, he hasn't been his up to his usual standard for the month of April, really. Um, you know, he's had some good stretches. He's had some bad stretches, but mostly in April, it's been it's been very up and down for him. And especially over these last six games, he's really struggled. But I, I think we're, again, a little bit spoiled as far as the high level of play that we've come to expect out of Devin Booker over the last year, especially. Um, and now that he's on a good team, it's only natural to want him to perform. And so over these last six games where he's really struggled, uh, it's been easy to, you know, I, I, I've seen lots of people saying like, oh, he's having a terrible month. He hasn't been good in forever. Like, what's wrong with Devin Booker? Devin Booker's broken. Like, okay, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, Frankie goes to Hollywood and Scarface, relax, okay? Like, take it easy, okay? We're, we're going to be fine. Devin Booker is having a rough patch. It's fine. I'm not trying to be, you know, the dog in the house. Like, this is fine but it's going to be okay. All right. So over these last six games, he's, his averages are down to 18 points per game, 4.3 assists. He's committing three turnovers a game. Um, he shot 39 for 104 from the field, which is 37 and a half percent. And he shot five for 28 from three point range, which is 18% basically. Um, he's posted a negative 2.8 point differential. So over this six-game stretch, the Suns have been outscored by 17 points overall when Booker's been on the floor. So, you know, not great for Booker, not great for the guy who's supposed to be, at worst, the second-best player on your team. And I'll admit some of his minutes have been painful over the last week or so. Um, in April, his numbers are down a little bit too, um, but not as down as you might think or as down as Suns Twitter might lead you to believe. Um, he's played 12 games in April He's averaging just under 24 points per game, 4.7 assists, 2.8 turnovers. He's shooting 43.5% from the field and just under 31% from three. And his point differential is plus 4.1. And the Suns have outscored their opponent by 49 points overall when he's been on the floor. So he's been bad lately, especially the last six games, but let's not misconstrue this as he's having a terrible month or Devin Booker's broken or what is what are we going to do? It's it's not the time to panic over Devin Booker yet. Um, so it's again, it's it's literally been these six games because he's had bright spots over this entire month and even in the last six games. And this might be overkill, but I feel like we need to take a step back and actually go through Devin Booker's April slate to point out that he's been pretty good in stretches and even when he's been bad in some of these games he's still come up big when the Suns have needed him. So to start the month, he had 32 points on 11 of 20 shooting against Oklahoma City. And yes, you're damn right. We're going to go through every single April game. Um, Leave no stone unturned here because I think it's important that we uh, don't have short memories when it comes to this kind of stuff. I feel like, you know, I, I get it. The Suns haven't had a good team to cheer for in 11 years and you know you could count the 2013-14 team I guess they won 48 games so they were a winning team but by and large the Suns fan base has not had a winning team to cheer for in a long time 
So every loss feels like this debilitating, horrible thing that, you know, is chipping away at the sun's title prospects or proves that they're frauds or some shit like that. But like, we need to chill out a little bit. So we're going to go through these games and point out that like Devin Booker is not broken. He's, he's fine. He's just having a rough stretch and that happens to everyone in this league. So 32 points on 11 of 20 shooting uh, in a route over Oklahoma city to start the month. He followed that up with 36, six and six on 11 of 20 shooting. Again, he made six of eight, three pointers in a narrow win over the Houston Rockets. And you're probably thinking, okay, the thunder and the Rockets, those teams suck. But if you remember the Rockets were hitting a lot of tough shots and kept chipping away at that sun's lead and kept getting closer and closer and Booker kind of single-handedly held them off in that game. If you remember, he had 18 of his 36 points in the fourth quarter to hold off the Rockets, even though they were shooting the lights out down the stretch. So again, another great game from Booker there. He had 35 in the overtime win over Utah after that. He didn't shoot very well. He shot 13 of 31 and 0 for 6 from 3. Um, and he wasn't great in the clutch in the fourth quarter either, but he did have seven points and one assist in overtime. He played pretty great defense throughout that game. And that was just a really tough game. You know, the Jazz missed a ton of three-pointers. The Suns missed a lot of makeable shots that they norm- normally make. Like that was a that was a battle. That was a really good battle. And the Suns came out on top. And Devin Booker, again, had seven points and one assist in overtime to help lead the Suns to victory in a very tight game. Um, so he didn't shoot the ball well, but, and that kind of brings his percentages down, but who cares? Suns are three and O and they got a great win over the best team in the NBA. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. Um, he wasn't great in the Suns next game against the Clippers, but again, that's one of the toughest back-to-backs the Suns have faced this season, you know, playing Utah at home, the number one team in the West, and then going to face the Clippers in LA, the number three team in the West, just behind the Suns. Um, and he still had 24 points on six of 13 shooting. And that was just a brutal, you know, second game of a back-to-back and nobody really played that well in that game. You know, that was another game where the Suns just kind of looked dead on the second night of a back-to-back. Um, and then he followed that up with a 27, six and six stat line in a blowout win over the wizards. Um, you know, he shot 11 for 24 and someone was telling me on Twitter, well, he shot under 50%. Okay, but Booker's been shooting like 49% on the season. So by the law of averages, most games he's shooting under 49%, even if it's just barely. Um, you know, we really shouldn't be griping about a guy who puts up a 27-6-6 stat line and shoots 46% from the field and, and three for eight from three, which is 37.5%. Those are good numbers. That's fine. Um, and the Wizards, again, are not a good team, but that game became a blowout because don't forget that game was very close at halftime. And then the Suns had that 44 point third quarter and Devin Booker scored 17 of those points, you know, and he had those two gorgeous dimes to Mikhail Bridges that everyone was salivating over. Like he did what leaders do against inferior competition. He set the tone to start that second half and turned what was a close game into a complete blowout for the Suns. Um, and then he followed that up with a 24-7-7 stat line in a win over the Rockets. Um, he shot nine for 18 from the field. So there's your 50%. He shot two for five from three. There's your 40%. Um, and then that's where the six game skid started. And I, you know, I'm not going to defend him. He's been bad during those six games. You know, we, we brought up the numbers. He hasn't been shooting well. He hasn't been playing well. But even in this stretch where he's been struggling, he's had some big moments to contribute to winning basketball. So we're going to go through all six of these games as well um, and point out the bad to be fair, just as much as the good. So Booker was awful against the Heat um, shooting wise. He shot four for 16 from the field. But, you know, the Suns actually didn't wind up needing him to do a lot that game because their bench took over and DeAndre Ayton had a great game, especially down the stretch. So, you know, as as much as we're not going to defend Booker's play in that game, he didn't shoot the ball well. Um, The Heat defended him really well. But the Suns didn't need him, and it didn't cost them anything. They wound up winning that game by double digits. Um, Next up was a 23-point performance against the Kings, and he didn't shoot the ball great. He was 8 for 19. He was 3 for 10 from 3. 
but he did pace the Suns for the first three quarters in a, in a back and forth game um, before he struggled in the fourth. He went 0 for 3 in the fourth quarter. Um, and again, Aiton came up big for the Suns, which has become a theme lately. And that's a good thing. Uh, even if we, you know, want to see Devin Booker thrive in those situations, it's been good to see Aiton be able to step up in his stead a little bit. And Mikhail Bridges step up in some of those big moments. Chris Paul continued to do what the point God does. Um, those are all good things. Um, then he had 15 points on six of 18 shooting in that blowout loss to the Spurs. Um, where pretty much everyone but like Javon Carter sucked in that game. Um, so there's no defending that one. But just as a reminder of the bigger picture, even in that game, he did become the ninth player in NBA history to reach 9,000 career points before turning 25 years old. Um, so that put him in the elite category with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Shaquille O'Neal, and Anthony Davis. Um, and he was the fifth youngest to do so out of that nine person group. So all of those guys are hall of famers or borderline hall of famers, you know, depending on what you think of T-Mac, I would say hall of famer, but all of those guys are hall of fame caliber players. Devin Booker is the fifth youngest of those nine players to reach 9,000 before turning 25. So, you know, again, that accomplishment feels trivial on a night where they just got waxed by the Spurs and I get it. Um, I felt kind of stupid even just tweeting that accomplishment out during the game because of what was going on in the game. <laughs> but, you know, we need to take a step back when Devin Booker's struggling. I know he's like the golden child of the Suns because they've been so bad for so long. He is kind of the second coming of hope for this fan base. So when he struggles, it, it becomes like personal for this fan base. But we need to take a step back and realize that even if he has been struggling, there's a bigger picture here. The Suns are still 42 and 17 on the season, even with this Celtics loss. They're still the number two team in the NBA. They're the number two team in the West. They're a good team that could play very well and go on a deep playoff run if they're not afraid of the bright lights. So um, even after that Spurs loss, still some positives to take away. Um then came the overtime win over the Bucks. He put up 24-7-7. and seven. Um, You know, he didn't shoot well. Those 24 points came on 24 field goal attempts. He only made nine of them. He shot one for four from three. But he did come alive in the fourth quarter in overtime. You know, he scored 10 points on four of seven shooting in the fourth quarter and in the overtime. Um, so to that point, he only had 14 points on, what, like five of 17 shooting? through the first three quarters, then 10 points on four of seven shooting. So he came alive when the Suns needed him. He had that one big bucket over Chris Middleton that tied the game with 25 seconds left. And everyone forgot that he literally forced overtime with that basket because he missed the potential game winner a few plays later at the end of regulation. Um, but we, we shouldn't forget that he hit that clutch shot over Middleton that tied the game up and wound up forcing overtime in the first place. Um, and then he also drew the foul, obviously, that got the Suns the win. Uh, it was a really well-defended play. And, and yes, it was a very broken, sloppy play um, where the Suns really didn't have anything going on. Booker was being stifled, but he made something out of nothing. You know, he got fouled. He got his team the W. And he also scored or assisted on eight of the Suns' 12 points in overtime, including, you know, the Mikael Bridges go-ahead three with like 26 seconds left. Um, that, you know, Chris Middleton wound up rebuttaling like right after that with a three of his own. But, you know, that was a big go-ahead three and Booker found the perfect pass for him uh, in the corner there. So Bucks game, he didn't shoot the ball well, but he came up big for the Suns when they needed him. Uh, and then literally, you know, everyone's complaining about how bad he was against the Celtics and how bad he's been all month and how bad he's been these last six games. Literally last game, he came alive when the Suns needed him most. Um, Matisse Thibel had him on lockdown all night. He's a really good defender. And he had limited Book to 11 points on three of 11 shooting um, heading into the final two minutes of that game. Like he had Book on lock. And then Booker just completely took over anyway. He had eight straight points for the Suns in the final two minutes um, and scored eight of the Suns' nine points to finish the game. Uh, he had that long two with his foot on the line with the shot clock winding down that came after, I think, DeAndre Ayton got a big offensive rebound. 
um, and he got a mismatch. He didn't have thigh bull draped all over him for that one. Uh, he had a bank shot leaning in um, close to the basket. He created contact with thigh bull and then um, he, you know, he created enough separation to get that easy bank shot there. And then he had the impossible fadeaway jumper in the corner that was, you know, reminiscent of Kobe Bryant or MJ with the footwork and, and the ability to create that separation and, and get his shot off um, just an unblockable shot. And it was nothing but net in the corner. And then he had two free throws to help ice the game with like five seconds left. So, you know, he, he did struggle for all but the last two minutes of that game. But man, he came up big in those last two minutes. He won them the game. They don't win that game without Devin Booker on the court. Um, so yeah, he was terrible in the Celtics game. He had 15 points. He shot six for 13, committed five turnovers. He fouled out. And I think four of them were offensive fouls. Uh, three of them were offensive fouls drawn by Kemba Walker, who just torched the Suns. Um, but again, context, important. The Celtics are no defensive slouches. I think they're uh, 12th or 13th in defensive rating, or they were heading into this game. Um, it was the second night of a brutal back-to-back on the road. And, you know, we're not going to lie. Like, this stretch is not the ideal time for a player to be trying to find their rhythm and get out of a shooting slump, you know? <laughs> his, his primary defensive assignments lately have been Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and then Thibuel. And then Marcus Smart, like those are all really good defenders, some of the best in the NBA. Um, And we're not making excuses because, you know, he needs to toughen up. This is what he needs to prepare for his first postseason run. These are the types of defenders he's going to be facing routinely in the playoffs. Um, And that's when defenses tighten up even further. But all of these games have been learning experiences and playoff caliber battles. So it's not like, you know, the notch is going to go so much higher once we're in the playoffs, you know, we're already playing playoff caliber games because these teams are gunning for the Suns. These are, you know, the Sixers are have been the best team in the East all season. The Bucks have championship aspirations. The Celtics are coming off an Eastern Conference Finals run. These teams all know what it's like to play in playoff caliber games. And even with guys missing, you know, Ben Simmons missing and Jalen Brown missing, these have been playoff caliber battles for the Suns and for their opponents in these games. Um, so it's not like, you know, the, the notch is going to rise so much higher in the playoffs. Um, and we even saw it in the Sixers game. We saw him learn his lesson against Thibault. Thibault blocked him twice um, on jump shots. And then we saw Book take that incredible, I mean, he covered like half the court with that sweeping fadeaway shot that he took from the corner. He, he knew he had to create enough separation to get this dude out of his face and get a clean look. And he did, and he got it and he knocked it down. Um, so we saw him come up big in Philly. We saw him come up big in Milwaukee and against Boston. Nobody really had it except for Chris Paul, to be honest. So um, again, I understand the urge to panic with Devin Booker, especially because his clutch numbers haven't been great this season. You know, you look at his numbers and overall on the season, according to NBA.com, He's 24 for 75 on field goals in the clutch, which is defined as the score within five points within the last five minutes of the game. Um, So he's only shot 32% in clutch scenarios. He shot five for 27 from three, which is under 19%. Um, But the Suns are still 18 and nine in those 27 clutch games that he's played overall. And he scored 83 points in those 112 minutes. Now, have they been efficient? Not really, but he's been able to get to the line. He's got 11 assists in those 112 minutes as well. And the Suns have still outscored their opponents by 24 points in those clutch scenarios with Devin Booker on the floor. So no, he hasn't been efficient, but he also hasn't been worthless either in the clutch. And if you take out that eight and eight start, because remember the first 16 games of the season where the Suns had you know eight of their 17 losses and, you know, coughed up some leads to some bad teams. If you take that out, because Devin Booker was six for 26 from the field in that stretch, and he was one for 10 from three. If you take that out, he's been a little bit better in the clutch. Not by much. I'm not going to lie to you. It hasn't been by much. He's still shooting like 37% in the clutch since then. And he's four for 17 from three, which is only 23.5%. So it's not great but he's also a plus 42 overall in those minutes. 
and the Suns are 14 and four in those 18 games. So even though Devin Booker has not been kind of the, uh, you know, the late game killer that he's been billed to be and, and has been for, you know, the early stages of his career when he didn't have much help and kind of had to be the man, he's still doing good things on the court when he's out there in the clutch and having Chris Paul definitely helps with that. Um, so, you know, yes, the Suns will need to need him to take and make big shots in the playoffs if they want to put together a finals run or, or a deep postseason run. But, you know, last year, Booker was 11th in the league in total clutch scoring with 106 points. And he's already at 83 um, this season. Uh, he shot 42% in those clutch scenarios. So, you know, a pretty, pretty good average percentage in those crunch time scenarios. You know, obviously you have to account for tighter defense in those scenarios. Um, not as much room to get off shots. A lot more ISO plays, which will bring down your, your numbers. Um, but that's not a bad percentage on clutch scenarios. Um, and, you know, by contrast as good as Devin Booker was individually and as many tough shots as he hit and clutch shots as he hit last year, the Suns were 16 and 19 in those 35 games with crunch time minutes. So, you know, we, we need to stop seeing the, the trees for the forest here a little bit, because if you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, the Suns have been a lot better in the clutch this season. And especially after that eight and eight start of theirs, um, and if you're looking for more reassurance, like the bubble last year, you know, people call it a fluke. People say that guys were resting and that the Suns had a lot more to play for, you know, whatever bullshit you want to throw out there in the bubble, in the three games where the Suns faced crunch time scenarios, Devin Booker went five for seven from the field. Um, and the Suns obviously won all three of those games. It went eight, no in the bubble. So that was the closest that Devin Booker has ever gotten to playoff you know, games with playoff implications, and he rose to the occasion. I, I think that there's something to be said for his struggles against some of these better teams this season, um, especially lately. But I really do think that we're kind of seeing this team and this league in general hit a wall. We've seen so many guys go down with injuries. We've seen so many back-to-backs. The Suns are, are getting some of these back-to-backs in now. They're going to be playing on the road a lot we might just see, we might just be seeing fatigue, you know, and we're not going to have to worry about back to backs and, and that same kind of fatigue once the playoffs are here, because as much as it's a different kind of game and guys are going to be playing heavier minutes, they're also not going to be playing on back to back nights. They're going to have more time to prepare, especially prepare for their opponents, which is tough to do on a back to back. And it's tough to do when you're playing Eastern conference contenders for, you know, a week straight. So Devin Booker has not been good lately. I will give you that. No denying that. I'm just not hitting the panic button on one of the best players in the NBA. I'm just, you're not going to convince me to do it. Um, that's going to do it for Suns Talk today. Now we're going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing that you're doing something great for your body. They start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its health benefits. Then they blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. So we're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. So just go to earthechofoods.com slash minutemedia and enter the code MINUTE15, that's M-I-N-U-T-E-1-5, and you can get up to 15% off. But uh, let's go ahead and go into our G-rated segment, which is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale. Um, I don't know about you guys, but over the last few weeks, I kind of 
this show surpassed WandaVision for me. And at the start, I really didn't think there was any chance in hell that that was going to happen. I thought coming into this, especially since Marvel had planned this as like their first foray into, um, you know, producing TV shows on Disney Plus, and then it got delayed. I thought it was just going to be kind of more straightforward, just more action oriented, um, kind of basic plot and not much to write home about compared to WandaVision, which was, you know, more of a mind fuck. There were all these internet theories circulating about what was really going on week to week. It was, it was a fun watch for all that speculation and all these fan theories that were being tossed around. Um, but I really do think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a superior show just in terms of what actually happened in the show. Uh, it was a lot more predictable, I will say that. But I, I just think it tackled a lot of issues that I really wasn't expecting it, a lot of issues, and a lot of concepts that I really wasn't expecting it to go down. So quick spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen the season finale that came out today on Friday. Um, we're going we're gonna to get into it, so if you want to watch it first pause us right here go watch it and then come back and we'll talk about it but um so the finale starts with sharon coming back into the into the fold sharon carter um she's wearing some weird face disguise technology which should have been you know warning sign number 300 that she's uh a little bit more evil than she's been letting on um but it was really cool i mean opening five minutes we finally see Sam Wilson as Captain America and you know his garb looked awesome we knew at the end of the last episode it was going to be cool um, because it came from Wakanda and Wakanda just does awesome things but you know watching him fly in with the shield and his new getup was really cool and it was cool to see this black Captain America for the first time just look freaking majestic and come in like that um, so you know Cap and whatever the guy's name is that's played by GSP or fighting. Um, you know, Sharon straight up murders a guy with mercury vapor, which again, sign 301 that she's evil. Um, and Carly, meanwhile, is is her plan is to basically kill the hostages or, or die for the cause. Um, and she's kind of losing the support of her inner circle there a little bit. Um, but, you know, there, there's a bunch of fights that are going on in this finale. You know, Carly sets a truck full of these hostages from the GRC on fire to distract Bucky. And, you know, Bucky chooses to save the hostages. And meanwhile, you know, Renta Captain America comes out with his little two-bit shield that he forged in his own backyard or whatever the fuck he was doing. Like, um, And he's trying to get revenge for his friend who was murdered by Carly in the last or the second to last episode. Um, and so Bucky and Carly are fighting and, and Carly kind of beats the shit out of him and then crashes a truck in a precarious position. And, and John Walker is forced to choose between chasing her and getting his revenge and saving the truck full of hostages. And he chooses the hostages, but the other flag smashers come in and tackle him. And so that's when Captain America comes back and, and saves the day for he saved the day like on six different occasions in, in this episode, which was pretty cool. Um, but he came in and saved the truck and, and saved them all basically. Um, and, and I'll say like, there was that one part with the two guys that were standing there filming and there was a crowd watching this whole fight go down, obviously. And someone was like, that that's the black Falcon. And someone was like, no, nah, that's captain America. And I was like, all right, like that's pretty cool. It's it's super cheesy, but I'm into it, so whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, they they chase Carly into the underground, like literally, I guess. And um, you know, we we find out that Sharon is the power broker. She catches up with Carly, and that surprises approximately no one because we hadn't seen the power broker, and we had seen Sharon, you know, straight up John Wick murdering people like in episode three we saw her making some shady phone calls either last week or the week before so it was pretty obvious that she was either the power broker or in connection with the power broker um so we find out that she is officially the power broker 
Um, and then Sharon kills GSP when he tries to blackmail her and Carly takes advantage and shoots uh, Sharon Carter right then and there. And then, you know, Sam comes in and intervenes to stop her from killing the power broker, even though he doesn't know she's a power broker. Um, and then meanwhile, like Bucky and Sam, or I'm sorry, Bucky and John Walker trick the remaining flag smashers into meeting up at a secret location using their app. I was kind of unclear about that. It was kind of a lame way to wrap up the other flag smashers. I mean, the guy has a metal arm and you have John Walker, who's his super soldier. Like we could have gotten another fight scene, but you know, minor quibble there, I guess. Um, and so then, you know, Carly's trying to fight with Sam and Sam's not having it. He doesn't want to fight her. Um, and then Sharon takes advantage. Carly's about to kill Sam. She's about to shoot him. And Sharon takes advantage and she shoots Carly and kills her. Um, and so then Sam kind of delivers the body to the GRC, you know, crisis averted. And, and he kind of makes this interesting speech to these politicians about how much power they have and what they're doing with it and how they need to be helping these people. And, um, you know, basically trying harder. And, and it was, it was interesting. It was kind of on the nose and a little bit cheesy again. Like it, it wasn't bad, but it was, I don't know. I feel like this show did a really good job up until this last episode of tackling a lot of these issues of systemic racism and, and being black in America and just the uneven power dynamics and, and class differences and all of that stuff without really like, you know, looking straight into the camera and saying it. I felt like that speech was kind of that, and it was a little over the top in my opinion, but um, you know, it did also give Carly's death a little bit of meaning because I'll be honest, I was kind of disappointed at her character arc and the way it went because she started off as a very interesting and kind of sympathetic character and then she just took a full turn towards terrorists. We got to kill the hostages. We got to, you know, kill whoever we have to kill. And there was no gray to that. It, it just turned black and white. And that's what I think the show had done a very good job of with its villains to that point was making them more gray instead of black and white. This was more black and white, but at least Sam's speech kind of gave her death a little bit of context and a little bit more meaning because you know, it was all about like, look at what she was willing to die for and look at how many people were willing to support her cause because of how shitty a job you guys are doing, basically taking care of the world. Um, so it was, it was interesting. I, I felt like, you know, calling out the government and its lack of care for its citizens is kind of an obvious thing, especially with everything that's going on in our world these days. Um, but it was just a little too on the nose for me, I think. Um, so anyway, Sam gives his speech and he basically establishes himself to the world because of course this is being filmed as you know the new Captain America, all the um, awesomeness and inevitable racism and backlash that's gonna come with that. Um, and then meanwhile, the flag smashers are being loaded into this truck that's gonna take them to the raft, which is you know this, this big prison for bad guys where uh, Zemo is chilling. But, uh, you know, it seems like they're about to escape because the guard tells them, you know, their one world, one people slogan that the Flag Smashers have been using this whole time. But then the truck like blows up and there's a zoom out to the old guy in, in a car and the old guy is Zemo's butler. And then it, it goes back to Zemo at the raft and he's watching on the TV and um, Valentina or Valentine, I can't remember what her name was, basically Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character um, basically confirms that Zemo was the mastermind behind that and had the had those guys killed. I don't know how the fuck he did that from prison. <laughs> like how this old butler dude was able to rig this, be in the perfect place, monitor this whole situation, set the explosives and just kill all these super soldiers, but whatever. Um so then, you know, we go forward, John Walker kind of redeemed himself, apparently. Um, and he is going to be turned into US agent, which is no surprise. That's who he was in the comics, John Walker, um, you know, this knockoff Captain America. So he's not Captain America anymore, which is for the best because 
He was not good at that job, but now he's got this new role as U.S. agent, and we're not really sure if this is sanctioned by the government or just uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's secret organization or what's going on there. It's kind of unclear. Um, Bucky makes amends like he said he would with the old Asian guy whose son he killed while he was a winter soldier. Um, Sam goes back to visit Isaiah Bradley, who watched his emergence as Captain America on TV. Um, you know, the GRC stands down in their vote. And, you know, Sam, when he's talking with Isaiah Wilson or Isaiah Bradley has this really good line. Um, you know, we built this country, bled for it. I'm not going to let anybody tell me I can't fight for it, which was a good way to bring his character arc and his story, his journey to becoming Captain America full circle, um, which is something that I wasn't expecting from the show. You know, I thought especially with the way that if Avengers Infinity War ended, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not Infinity War, uh, Endgame with, you know, Rogers giving um, Sam the shield and basically passing that mantle on to him. I thought this show was just going to start with him being the new Captain America. And that wasn't what it did at all. If, if anything, it gave him a journey to get to that point. And it brought up a lot of really interesting dynamics that I hadn't even thought of as far as him being the Captain America. And I thought they did a really good job touching on a lot of those, those racial components that would come with a black man being, you know, Captain America in a country that's been historically and systemically racist since its inception. So especially with everything that's been going on over the last year, I felt like this was really powerful about as powerful a statement as you can make on a lot of these subjects for a Marvel show, you know, like a show about a bunch of superheroes is only going to go so far, but I thought they went about as far as they possibly could considering the medium. So, um, you know, and then Sam takes Bradley and his grandson to the Captain America museum. And, and there's a new section for him to highlight his contributions and, and the suffering what he sacrificed for his country. Um, and then, you know, in the mid credits end scene, we get, we see Sharon get her, her full pardon, Sharon Carter and her job back. So she's agent Carter again, but then she makes that shady call at the end and basically confirms that she's infiltrated the system. They don't have access to super soldiers, but now they have all this Intel. So, you know, power broker is going to be, a force to contend with moving forward even if she wasn't in this I honestly thought she kind of it was weird how she like shot GSP and wasn't expecting Carly to take advantage and shoot her um, you know if, if Carly was a better shot she the power broker would already be dead <laughs> so I'm not really I'm not really big on that whole thing and, and I do have a couple of criticisms for the show that I'll get to in a few minutes but I really enjoyed this even more than WandaVision uh, even though this finale didn't really wow me either, I, I felt like the WandaVision finale didn't stick the landing. This finale was better, but it also didn't like blow me away like I was kind of hoping it would, especially for, you know, a series that only had six episodes. Um, the action sequences were really good, minus a few minor quibbles again, because I feel like, you know, when Sam was fighting GSP, there's this moment where he throws the shield at him and GSP like, flicks a chair up with his foot and it just like knocks the shield out of the air i'm like bro you need to be throwing that shield a lot harder if he's just gonna toss a chair at this vibranium shield and knock it out of the air like that <laughs> like you need to be throwing it a lot harder so there were a couple of moments where i was like okay that's that's a little cheesy but the action was good for the most part other than that um, and again, I really appreciated the way that it explored systemic racism in America and didn't shy away from it. Like it tackled it head on. Um, like I was saying in this finale, a little bit too much as far as being like too on the nose and like looking into the camera, like, hello, America, that kind of thing. Um, but hey, you know, it's, it's not like we don't need it right now, honestly. So however you convey the message, I, I get it. Um, my criticisms for this finale especially and for the show um i feel like it should have explained or gone into a little bit more detail as to what the grc was 
and why they were so bad at their jobs. It was very vague as far as, you know, what the flag smashers wanted. They, they liked when half the world's population disappeared because it brought everybody together and they were one people and they were united in their cause, but it didn't really tackle like how bringing all of the world back changed that, especially with the GRC not doing enough or not caring about its people enough. Um, you know, I guess the GRC was just kind of a stand-in for all of the current political troubles that we have as far as, um, you know, just racial imbalance and inequality in this country, but um, in this country and a lot of countries, but I, I don't know. I, I just felt like they didn't really set that up as to why this vote, whatever the GRC was voting on was so important and, and why they were so evil and what they were doing that was so bad. Um, I feel like that would have helped make Carly's cause a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more understandable. Um, I also feel like Zemo was a great addition to the show as far as the actor and, and the character and just the comedic value that he brought, you know, him in the club is still going to be one of my favorite gifs, but I don't, what was the point of him exactly? Like he was taken off the board so fast and so anticlimactically in the last episode that it was obvious that, okay, either this is a really bad way to take a character out of the equation or he's got something up his sleeve. And we find out in this finale that yes, he had something up his sleeve. He was going to have his 80 year old Butler bomb a bunch of super soldiers somehow. <laughs> um, so I get, I don't think that whole thing was handled that well. I felt like Zemo would have been better as a wild card who was still on the loose Um and, you know, maybe he gets taken to the raft afterwards and is totally fine with that because mission accomplished. I feel like that would have made for a more compelling end to his character story within this series. But, you know, apparently he was just orchestrating everything behind the scenes and we didn't get to see any of that. So that just kind of took away a lot of the draw of his character that he's very smart and he is not, you know, he doesn't have superpowers, but he is able to manipulate and and play the game very well um i feel like that wasn't conveyed very well especially with the way that those super soldiers were killed um my biggest quibble with this is that this whole finale painted john walker as kind of this redemption story like he's going to be u.s agent now he is with this organization he's happy with his wife at the end of it you know him and Bucky are kind of trading playful banter while these these fights are going on. Um, I get that he saved the hostages and he like, you know, he did the right thing in that situation. But like, are we going to forget that he just straight up murdered someone with Captain America's shield for the whole world to see? <laughs> like, are we, are we just going to fucking overlook that and be like, okay, John Walker's fine now. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm looking... I'm not looking far enough into it. Maybe that's just kind of a veiled criticism of America because John Walker very much represents the system. He even said it in the last episode when he was on trial, he was like, you made me this way. Um, so he is white privilege, basically enabled, embodied in this show. Um, so maybe him getting off the hook is kind of a veiled statement about white privilege in this country maybe but i don't know it just felt kind of weird that nobody like even sam and bucky were really batting an eye about the fact that this was the dude that murdered somebody and here he is now he's one of the good guys again and i guess we're just gonna be cool with that there was no fallout um especially because he you know he made that cheap knockoff captain america shield he comes and enters the fray he's seeking revenge on Carly for killing his friend. And then that just all goes away because he tries to save a truck full of hostages and didn't even do the job. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Um, I also didn't really care for the making amends scene with that poor old Asian guy whose son was killed by Bucky. I, I It was just really short and really brief. I felt like the show had been kind of building up to that. And, you know, he had like a friendship with this old guy and the first episode had made it out to be like that cute little waitress that he had talked to and then totally ditched playing in the middle of a battleship game was going to be important but it just kind of ends with him looking in the window at both of them and then 
walking away and I, I get it like you know he killed the dude's son their friendship can only go so far at that point but like it, that scene was just super short it wasn't very emotional it wasn't very well acted either there wasn't a lot of dialogue it just kind of happened as a way to say okay Bucky apologized and now we're going to move on like I feel like this episode would have done a lot better with one or two more episodes to handle the fallout like this would have been a climactic you know middle of the season or near the end of the season maybe like penultimate episode and then the last episode they could have gone more into the power broker um they could have gone more into the inevitable backlash that sam is going to receive now as captain america as a black captain america it could have gone into you know bucky making amends how that affects him because we didn't really see whether he feels relief whether he's going to get off the hook in his mind or in his heart for these horrible things that he's done, um, whether he can mend this relationship that he had with this old man that was clearly important to him. Maybe, maybe it was just a way of guilt, but I don't know. These are just some of the things that I was thinking about watching this. I, I felt like another episode really would have done this show good as far as bringing some of these stories full circle. And I'm assuming we're going to touch on these things again in the future because you know, nothing is ever closed off in Marvel. We're going to see these characters and these storylines again in future Marvel movies. But I don't know. It felt like this, you know, WandaVision was 10 episodes or nine episodes. And this could have been more. It could have done with one more, I think, um, to really round everything off and, and contextualize Carly's better death better. And, you know, all these struggles that Sam is going to have to go through with the system that he's already been going through, especially once it as it turns out, the power broker is someone that's close to him and has gone through her own different struggles with the system. Um, I felt like another episode would have done this well. But again, I, I enjoyed it. And I really liked the show. I think it was better than WandaVision overall. Um, for my G rating for the show, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. I think it would have been a 9 if they had really stuck the landing, but I really still did enjoy this show. So 8.5 out of 10 feels appropriate. Um, but that's going to do it for this G-rated segment. Next up for Monday's episode, we're going to be looking at Mortal Kombat. I cannot wait. It's probably just going to be nothing but blood and gore and violence and no plot whatsoever, but it's going to be cool. Who doesn't love Mortal Kombat? So we're going to dive into that. But thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube page or to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please make sure to do so. Also, please feel free to write me a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. But uh, until next time, this is Gerald Bourget signing off.